Welcome to the RSP Cast. I'm Matt Waldman with the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. Today's episode is a solo cast on the 2023 wide receivers. This is a fascinating group of prospects that's strong at the top, but who is truly at the top in this class? It might not be the players you think. That's what I bet we'll be reflecting on when we look at this group maybe in three to four years. So I'm going to discuss one or two prevailing thoughts I have about the 59 wide receivers that are going to be featured in the 2023 Rookie Scouting Portfolio pre-draft publication. This is going to be available, right? Actually, it's available for pre-order at mattwaldman.com, www.mattwaldman.com. It will be ready for April 1 download. Now, if you haven't purchased the RSP in the past, it's a PDF draft guide covers at least 150 players at the offensive skill positions of quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end. This year, I'll have 150 players on the dot. 151 if you count one player who I've evaluated at two different positions. Now, it's been available for download every April 1st since 2006, and I'm on schedule for it to be available on April 1, once again, for the 18th year. And for over a decade, I've been delivering a post-draft guide one week after the NFL draft, that's also part of the subscription price for the RSP pre-draft, post-draft together for $21.95. This is how I make my living. So if you enjoy the podcast, you like the YouTube channel, you have fun following the videos and commentary I do on Twitter or TikTok, all of that work is really just me sharing a small amount of my background research for the RSP publication. I go deep with the RSP and it helps you go deep with your knowledge so you can go deep on your league mates. You know, I was in sales for a long time and what I'm sharing, you know, I've said this on previous solo casts, it's low on frills, it's huge on substance. New readers are always pleasantly shocked with what they get and I'll share more detail about the RSP later in this podcast. Now, this A through Z show on wide receivers is going to be like the previous solo casts on quarterbacks, running backs, and tight ends that I've done. I'm going to share one or two things about these receivers that I find notable, and I'm going to be sharing or broaching the receivers in alphabetical order by their first name. These thoughts are going to fall into categories of praise, criticism, lingering questions, or broader thoughts about the position. Um, these are far from complete scouting reports. Um, they're just little snippets. If you want the full deal, $21.95, mattwaldman.com, it'll get you that. And if you're like most who give me feedback about the price, you're going to feel like you're underpaying after you see it. And yeah, I'm selling you, but it's also the truth. Now, if you heard me on the Feel It or Fuck It podcast with Bob Harris about a month ago, I didn't have a great feeling about this class overall, and I want to give you a little bit more background about that. So it starts with how I watch players. When I watch a player, I often chart one to two games in the summer, another one to two in the fall, and one to two more in the winter. Then I'll look at my notes, I'll look at his workout metrics, and I'll create a hit list of items I want to watch again, or in some case, says find evidence of things that I haven't seen from those three to six games that I've charted. Now, I don't specifically chart every game beyond the three to six games that you'll see in my scouting profiles or in my um, charting reports that you see at the end of the book. But I often watch every rep of at least the latest season from that player. Now, this isn't the goal for me. I don't try to say, oh, I've watched every snap. Sometimes you'll hear that on big media networks when they proceed that they've studied a player, they've watched every snap. And, you know, that's great. But, you know, for me, it's about focused charting of the games that I have on the sample. And then I use watching every play really is just sometimes that's the byproduct of looking for specific things that I haven't seen yet. Um, and it's more of a faster process, you know. So that's not the goal, but it often happens that I, I'm looking, again, for specific things on my hit list that the usual work that I do um, and the usual work that you see from receivers within their scheme and their game plan that doesn't really 
show up, you know, maybe a certain diving catch or maybe a trick play that they've only done once all year or an unusual situation where a play doesn't work out and a player has to be more creative than what you've seen in the past. Those are some examples of that. Um, from there, if I don't see what I'm looking for after charting those three to six games, after watching, you know, a season or two seasons worth of plays, and usually I'll see it from there. I'll go to a highlight compilation on YouTube because those compilations often show the best moments from a player's career. And I'll at least get to see if anything showed up that there that I haven't seen yet because they, the, the highlights often show not only what they do well, but often exceptional moments that you won't always see or won't normally see from that player. Um, so when I shared what I did about this class on the podcast with Bob, which, by the way, will be back probably next week, um, I was not yet at the final stage of compiling my hit list and watching through you know, the rest of the tape. Now that I've finished my hit list and I've finished the RSP wide receiver chapter, I'll refine my original statement about this class this way. The deeper I've dug into this class, the more promise I see with it. And the top six to eight players on my board are pretty safe options when it comes to them having a shot to contribute for an NFL lineup and for a fantasy team. Um, which means, you know, for, you know, just NFL purposes, they'll probably be starters uh, or important rotational contributors for teams um, in the near term, the next one to three years. Now, the 8 to 10 players in the next tier after that, the second tier of players, that's the most fascinating to me. Several of the players in this range could be better than the ones I have in my top tier if they improve some flaws that are holding them back um, for the pro game but maybe don't look like they're being held back in Division One football. In other words, you know, they some of the things that they're doing aren't killing their draft prospects. But once they see an NFL field, if they continue doing this stuff, um, there's going to be some eventual problems. Now, I told a former NFL personal personnel guy today that this portion of the class, the second tier, and the, the 8 to 10 after my first tier, feels like a minefield. And more so than in recent classes before, this group just has a lot of players with buzz this this tier that have technical flaws with catching the football. Gabriel Davis-like flaws with clap catching and using the incorrect hands position for the trajectory of the target. Now, let's, let's make this point. Davis has been a productive NFL and fantasy player, but his career catch rate is a little higher than 50%, and that's not great. And last year, he earned a lot of criticism for drop passes. And he earned more criticism for drop passes, not because he really dropped a lot more passes or he, his technique was worse. His technique's been the same since he was, you know, in college. It's the fact that he was placed in a higher priority on the offensive food chain and to be counted on more. And that was not really his role entering the league so they they raised the expectations and he performed pretty much the same way and that caught the ire of fans because remember this time last year I explained that Davis would not be a future primary receiver for multiple reasons one the Kansas City playoff game where Davis exploded statistically was the product of the coverage and pressure scheme that the Chiefs played against the Bills offense they were daring Josh Allen to avoid pressure and find his third option in the route progression. And they were just betting that they could get to Allen before Allen could find and reach Davis. And they lost. Davis, on at least three of these big plays, was a recipient, had a huge day because of that. Allen beat the pressure, and Davis being open on those slow-developing routes as the third option, working past a secondary that can hold on that long because... They were counting on the pressure to get to Allen. Well, that was the reward. Davis with a big play. Davis has a limited round tree. That's the second thing about him. He's a long-striding, long-developing deep threat. He earns a lot of schemed looks in the short game that are designed to trick defenses 
so that they get him open. Scheme plays are plays where the offensive design is really geared towards getting one option open, and then at very worst, they have a fail-safe second option that they hope they can get to if pressure doesn't get to the quarterback by then. But Gabriel Davis isn't that guy who's earning the targets that Stefan Diggs gets. And you know what kind of targets I'm about to talk about. Those third and seven, out on an island, everyone knows what route you're going to run against the top corner on the opposing team, and you still win it. You know, the dig route, the comeback, the hook, the the deep out, you know, where they know you're the guy who's going to get the ball and you still can't stop them. That's not Davis's game. Davis is the guy you're trying to trick the offense into thinking it might go to digs, it might go to Cook, it might go to somebody else, and they're all flowing one day way, and Davis is running either a longer developing route or a short route where he sneaks out of the backfield and he's wide open. You can see it against the Rams earlier in the year. The third thing about Davis is that he just drops targets because of his hands position and his clap attacks. And the Bills have always known this about Davis. They're not going to sit there and tell the media, oh yeah, we've always known this about him because it just makes him look stupid. Okay, they're going to, people are going, well, why'd you pick a guy who drops a lot of passes? Okay, they're not going to say it that way. They'd hope that Davis would improve his hands position and take the time to work on it. But what they knew going in is that with enough volume, with good play design, they'll thrive with Davis being basically a home run hitter from a football standpoint. Now, I haven't watched Major League Football since the strike-shortened season of the 90s, okay? So when I give you this extremely dated reference, if you know who Reggie Jackson was, he was a home run hitter who struck out a lot. He's the baseball equivalent of Gabriel Davis in a sense. There are a lot of players in this class like Davis with home run hitting ability that strike out a lot, possibly more than teams will want to live with if they're also expecting these players to be the primary receiver. And there's some in this group that were, are going to be expected to be more than just a home run hitter, like a Ted Ginn or a Gabriel Davis. They're going to have to earn a better batting average, quote-unquote, you know, with their catch rates and expand their route trees. And others may refine everything else but still not be reliable enough to win the ball at a level worthy of a primary guy. This is a wild class for a draft analyst. At least it was for me. Okay, I can't speak for anybody else. And if you look at my past three or four years of reports on receivers, I've been pretty strong with my assessments since I've started to adapt a lot of the evaluation criteria that I have. This includes guys like Cooper Cup and Justin Jefferson, A.J. Brown, Chris Olave, D.K. Metcalf, and several more. Now, this group is a wild card because if many of my first and second tier players hit, this could be one of the strongest re receiver classes in recent memory. Now, this is unlikely, but the talent's there if they can address the issues with their hands. Now, if they don't, many of the top names in this class will be seen as busts and it'll burn a lot of folks who have them as first-tier guys. And I think it will serve as a good lesson on what to watch with hands positions at the catch point, something that I think maybe gets ignored a fair bit. Now, many of you are probably wondering, are hands-related issues addressable? How easy are they to fix? Now, most fans and media still believe that players get coached up they get and coached up to them includes fundamental techniques and concepts and that this coaching up happens when they get in the league but this is false i mean i'm not telling you this based on something that i just pulled out of thin air i'm telling you this based on players i've spoken with based on scouts i've spoken with based on coaches at the college and nfl game levels there's a lot more coaching focused on scheme and game plan. And most of the teams, especially in the pros, expect that their players are going to execute. And if there's an issue, they'll work on the fundamentals on their own time. The players who solicit the help 
of position coaches or assistant coaches to help them work through drills before and after practices, you know, those are the ones who succeed. And many of the coaches who are position coaches in the league didn't even play the position they coach. And what they coach in the NFL is, again, around game plan and scheme. It's the overwhelming priority of time and effort um, that's taken. Now, I've been sharing this point for the at least the past three years. And it's worth noting, and I, I use this example. Go to YouTube. Go check out Tony Gonzalez's story about how he became the player he was. And Every the, time. The one that you would use is the go to YouTube and find 100 all-time team tight ends NFL 100. And at the 2 minute 11 second mark of this particular episode that you'll find, again, titled 100 all-time team colon tight ends NFL 100. 2 minutes 11 seconds. At that point, it's queued up for Chris Collinsworth to say, from what I learned, you, you know, you said that you had things, you know, basically saying you had to learn, you know, to become the player you were. It wasn't just a natural thing. And and Gonzalez explains how at the end of year two, he led the league and dropped passes. Yeah, led the league and dropped passes and realized that he alone was the only person that could fix the problem. And he describes all the things he did to, to improve his hands. Now, all of the issues with hands positions and, you know, whether using the overhand or underhand position based on the trajectory of the target or whether your hands are too far apart, you know, whether you're clap attacking the ball, these are all addressable. Um, and, you, this is because the root issue with these mistakes usually isn't about tracking the football. If you're mistracking the football, that's a difficult fix. And if a receiver is already struggling with how to attack the ball because he doesn't see the trajectory accurately enough, that's a potential problem that can significantly derail a player's upside. And you'll see this when players, you know, consistently are leaping in the air for targets that are at chest level and below, um, you know, that they that they leave their feet before they extend their hands to the ball. You know, these are good examples of that they're just not tracking the trajectory well enough, okay? And then also if they just can't track the ball over their head or over their shoulder with their back to the ball, that's a that's also a, a, can be a difficulty there. Um, so... You know, this is something to watch very early on with a player's career. If they're dropping passes in these regions of the field and, and tracking's one of the root causes, it would be wise to downgrade your expectations of a player becoming a primary option for their team and maybe not even a consistent secondary option. Now, when it comes to issues with using the wrong overhand or underhand position, for the target trajectory and having the hands too wide from each other to meet the ball without clapping. These are ingrained habits with how the player reacts to the trajectory of the football. So even if they show some skill using the right techniques, if they revert quickly to these bad techniques or bad behaviors and more doing it more often than good, then they have to figure out a way to retrain themselves because they're ingrained issues at this point. And there's ways to do that, you, you know. Um, now, players who fall back on, you know, how would I put this? The behaviors that players fall back on prevent them from making catches that significantly reduce the odds of them fighting the ball and allow, um, you know, defenders to attack the ball. Um, or, excuse me, how would I put this? Didn't really I didn't really put this in the best way okay so if a player if a player has ingrained bad habits and they fall back on them in situations where you know things are happening too fast for them to to make the concerted effort to do the right thing when you see those bad habits come up it's it reduces the odds of them being able to win the ball and it and it increases the odds of them fighting the ball and it also opens them up for the defenders to attack the football 
So these are issues that can eliminate the physical advantages that they should have earned at the catch point with good technique. So if receivers with these issues spend a dedicated amount of time, multiple times a day, practicing the optimal hands positions and attacks for specific target trajectories, you know, going, you know, practicing high passes, high and away passes, low passes, low and away passes, low and inside passes, you know, passes at the belt line, passes at the numbers, passes behind their break point, passes below their knees. They should really be practicing all those things and doing it in a drilled fashion where they're practicing the correct techniques for each. And if they do that multiple times a day, they're going to see a big difference in their career. A guy like Quincy Inunua fixed hands positions that were awful at Nebraska. I mean, he was literally crossing his wrists trying to catch some passes. I mean, I've seen him do that. It was insane. Um, and he fixed it. And before he had a neck injury, he had really turned his hands positions around. So I can't tell you how long it will take for a player to see the results on the field. It depends on their ability to translate practice to the playing field, how well they practice information and their confidence in using these techniques and starting to try them out, especially as rookies who are also, you know, trying to acclimate to a bigger playbook, savvier football players covering them. And also, of course, just being a young man in life who's suddenly earning a shit ton more money and acclaim in a matter of months. So some players need a year or two to figure out what they may be getting, what they may be having to do. You know, maybe, you know, early on they're getting sunshine blown up their hind parts because they're famous athletes and they're, everyone's telling them how great they're going to be and how happy they, they are to have them join them at the, you know, insert NFL team and they make a play or two that's really good and everybody's excited about them and then they start dropping the ball. The, the, the game's raised and they start falling apart. And if they aren't working at their game while all this is going on, that money in a claim could shut off with the quickness of a water spigot. And it has for a lot of players. So if a player thinks his approach in college that hasn't, you know, that has been problematic, but hasn't hurt him statistically or claim wise, they think that's going to work in the NFL. And many believe it will. They may not consciously say, oh, I think it's going to work out. You know, I think my specific hand issues are issues. They just think, oh, I'll figure it out. But they don't have a systematic way of figuring it out and getting better. They may not see the urgency to address the issues that they have. And so that's the dangerous part with catch technique. Because it's these factors that need to be considered when projecting improvement for a player. I mean, there's a lot underneath that. So you can understand what's ahead for some of these well-known prospects in this class that I've seen, you know, with hands issues more and more of them in this class in recent classes. So you can see why it's a potential minefield for fantasy because if they don't get on it, it could catch up to them. So let's get started. We're going to look at A through Z by first name, one to two things with each player. Start off with A.T. Perry of Wake Forest. He's a promising route runner. He's got good, but not great hands. And I think he should develop into a starter. If he becomes a top route runner, he could deliver perennial, you know, fantasy wide receiver two type of value. Right now, I think he's more of a light switch player with his route effort. And he needs to become an every play, set it and forget it thermostat player. You, you know, there's a lot of talent to his route running, but it's only when you when he knows that he's going to get the ball or has a really high shot of doing it. And there's just some games, it's just not either game to series to series, game to game, week to week. It, you just don't know if he can turn it on and keep it on. Andre Iosivas, I think that's how I pronounce it correctly, is out of Princeton. I would think of his first year as a redshirt season. But I'd also expect... He has an emergence beginning in 2024 because a lot of the fundamentals are present with his game and the workout numbers are really strong, but the fundamentals aren't consistent yet and he's doing that in the Ivy League. You know, DJ Chark had a similar trajectory from year one to year two and they have similar styles of play. Um, now, if Chark was in the SEC, which is decidedly a higher level of athletic um, talent that he was facing than Iosivas, but... The fundamentals that are present, 
there's promise there for the future. Antoine Green, North Carolina. You know, I pegged him. I didn't peg him this way. He was pegged as a limited vertical receiver. But I think he has potential to expand his underneath game. He's got to shore up some lapses with his hands. But if he plays to his potential, I think Michael Gallup is a name that you should associate with him in terms of what type of role he could have with an offense. He's worth keeping an eye on, even if that means that early on he's kind of behind the scenes of a team. Now, Bryce Ford Wheaton of West Virginia, you know, he's pegged a bit as a limited vertical receiver with great athletic ability, but his potential to, and great dimensions too. And I think he has potential to expand his underneath game. I think he's one of several players who has to shore up lapses with his hands. But it's not he's not one of those second-tier guys I referenced. Um, though he could leapfrog a couple of spots, at least, to become a starter in this league. But he has more work ahead with routes as well. So it's not just the hands issue that could blow up for him. Now, Cedric Tillman of Tennessee... He occasionally has some suboptimal technique with his game, but it's not the norm. And there are a lot of guys in his class where it was the norm and the good technique was kind of the exception on their film. It's reversed for Tillman. He's a reliable, what I call, possession plus option. Think Mike Williams was with the Chargers. A possession plus option who can get deep, he can win the ball in contested situations, and he can do it with and without optimal technique. And he does it more often with optimal technique. I like Cedric Tillman a lot. C.J. Johnson of East Carolina is another player that I really enjoyed watching. He's a physical receiver, 6'1", 225, strong repertoire of release skills against man coverage. He's a playmaker at the catch point. He breaks tackles in the open field. He's got to prove that he's quick enough for the NFL game. And I think he's a legitimate sleeper in this class. I would think of him as Noah Brown, the former Cowboy recently signed with the Houston Texans. Similar height and weight. With he's, But I think of him as maybe Noah Brown with more in the tank when it comes to becoming a potential contributor and starter of note. And Noah Brown had his best season to date last year. Now, part of it was due to Gallup's injury, but he definitely you know, showed up at times. And I think that C.J. Johnson can show up um, in a bigger way than that. Demario Douglas, Liberty. Probably not going to excite anybody here who's a fantasy football, you know, guy. But think Olamide Zacchaeus, the Atlanta Falcons return specialist who had running back roots as a scat back at Virginia. Both Douglas and Zacchaeus are similar in dimensions. They both get deep better than many realize. And like Zacchaeus, he has promise with his hands and should get better with his routes. And what I liked about Douglas is they matched him up one-on-one on the backside of the formation at Liberty and used him as that matchup receiver. And he would win a lot of those routes against bigger guys. Um, he just didn't have the caliber quarterback play you know, during Malik Willis era and post-Malik Willis to, to really find him at the level that I think an NFL quarterback is going to be able to find him, or at least an accomplished one. Now, Darius Davis, TCU. If you're going to use him on offense right now, he's strictly kind of a screen pass, throw out, gadget guy, occasional crossing route, or, you know, say a prayer and hope he gets open deep with his speed, okay? That's... He's not a guy that if you're a fantasy guy, you're not going to be drafting Darius Davis unless you're in a return league, a league with that awards points for returns. If you do, he's going to be one of your higher draft picks if those points are a valuable part of your scoring system because he's a seriously skilled return specialist. Um, I literally, I laughed because Russ Landy after the show was telling me that he talked to a... Um, he talked to a scout who basically said, yeah, Darius Davis, wide receiver, forget about it. You know, right now, nothing there. And I couldn't agree more in terms of where he is right now. Darius Davis, the return specialist, completely different story. He's going to make the league and contribute because of that alone. Dante Demas Jr. out of Maryland. 
Now, he was a guy that I think a lot of that I heard a lot of excitement about prior to a season ending injury. And then after that, he just kind of disappeared. He's a physical receiver and he's got to work on his routes. Um, and I think those, if he, the more he can get his routes together, the more likely he is to emerge as more than a situational contributor or a reserve. Personally, the, while he's used outside a lot, I'd love to see him developed into a big slot. He could be dangerous in that region of the field. He's kind of an A.J. Brown starter kit that has a few pieces missing from the box that you've put on special order, but there's no timetable for delivery because they're having difficulty tracking down a supplier. Um, so, you know, kind of dicey. You don't know whether you're going to get those pieces, but you can see what would happen if they do. Dontavian Wicks of Virginia, he's an athletic player at the catch point. He's made a lot of big plays against tight coverage at Virginia. There's some Brandon Ayuk-like potential with his game, if you ask me. But if you're going to be realistic about using comps to stay where the guy is right now, think Cornell Powell with maybe Marquez Callaway as the aspiration. You know, Right now you're thinking, can he make a roster? And then can he develop to the point that he can be a contributor? If he can do that quickly... Then you can start thinking, well, maybe Brandon Ayuk is a, a worthwhile aspiration. And if you get close, but not quite there, you still have something really good out of the player. And I think Dontavian Wicks can be that. Deuce Watts of Tulane, good pass catcher. Now, if his route game can become as good as his pass catching, he could make an NFL roster and contribute in the future. But right now, he's a ways off. Elijah Higgins of Stanford's fun because... When he before the senior bowl, he was about 225. You could see that the hands were good. He plucks the ball well. He he's kind of got decent footwork after the catch, could make some people miss. You, you know, good athletic ability for his size. And he, he arrived in Mobile in the mid-220s. But then they said, Hey, you know what? Elijah, we think you could be a you know a Darren Waller-like player. If you thought about being a tight end. And they had him work with the tight ends. And when the combine came, guess who weighs 235 pounds at 6'3"? Yep. So Elijah Higgins has embraced the idea that he'll be better off as a move tight end on the wing in the slot. Um, now, to me, is there really a big difference assignment-wise between being a big slot and being a move tight end like Darren Waller? Not really. Um, so, you know, there's not much of a difference in his grades, you know, but there is one that's a little bit higher than the other for me at the position that, you know, when we talk about one position versus the other. So, you know, good luck to Higgins with the, with the potential move. Um, I think he can be a contributor eventually. Um, it just may take him a little longer at tight end, but I do see how the payoff could be a little better. Grant DuBose of Charlotte. He's a reliable possession receiver. He's quick. His acceleration is good enough to stretch the field with the right matchups, and he can run after the catch. He's good at the catch point, too. He's physical at the catch point, and he's physical as a blocker. Call me a fan, okay? I think this is the type of guy that might be standing or left standing when the when the ex mass explosions happen with the minefield of the second tier, if everything goes wrong, he might be the guy standing in kind of a tattered uniform, but, you know, completely in, uh, you know, completely intact otherwise. Jacob Copeland of Maryland. He's a zone receiver, okay? He's got solid ball-carrying skills. He transferred from Florida. He has good top speed, but the acceleration isn't there. He has special teams coverage experience. I think if he can make it a club with special teams work, he can maybe develop into a fifth receiver or a sixth receiver with the help of his special teams work. You're not going to see him as an impact player on an offense, most likely. Jadakis Bonds out of Hampton. He's a good college athlete, but I think he has physical limitations for the NFL, and it's with his mobility, his flexibility, his speed, and his acceleration. I think there's a hard ceiling that's going to be placed on his potential development as a pro if he can't change those things. And, you know, some of these things he might be able to change, the mobility, the flexibility, 
maybe the acceleration, some of that. Hard, you know, we'll see. Jaden Blue, he's a quick yards after the catch player from the slot. He's got return skills. Um, he transferred from Temple to Virginia Tech. Maybe a late-round guy because of what he can do on special teams. Jaden Hazelwood out of Arkansas. Now, this was a former five-star recruit to Oklahoma. Um, he got injured early in his career. Um, he didn't like being at Oklahoma, just didn't feel like it was a fit, wound up at Arkansas. Now, he's a physical presence at the catch point. I think he has enough quickness, strength, and acceleration to earn yardage after the catch in the NFL. If he can show more growth with his game, then I think Muhammad Sanu could be a short-term aspirational um, comparison for him, like a player that he could aspire to be short-term. And if he can get there, then maybe Juju Smith-Schuster is the longer-term guy. But it's going to take a good bit for that to happen. And, and just because he was a five-star recruit doesn't necessarily mean that he has the talent to do so. Five-star recruits often are what I call the big men in the little coat, you know, the guys who have the man's frame in high school and it projects well that you know they have they already have developed athletic ability but they don't always develop it more or grow anymore and they get passed um by you know once two three years into college jake bobo he's at ucla transfer from duke he reminds me a little bit of a duke former duke player um christian mccaffrey's pops ed mccaffrey he's got good hands Needs to be a little more quick twitch with his explosion. If he can do that, might be able to make some gains in terms of potential to make a roster. His play strength needs to improve a little bit more. Routes need more work. Check back in three or four years. If he can hang around that long, there might be something there to you know where he could start to make inroads. Jalen Brooks of South Carolina. Listen, he's a slot receiver. He has good hands. Came out of Wingate as well. Transferred out of Wingate. I think he has enough acceleration to do work in zones and and run crossing routes, you know, maybe screen passes. But I don't, you know, he has, he makes some big plays downfield against zone. But I I, I think that he's going to be fighting to make an active roster. Um, he'll probably be a, a practice squad or futures hopeful. Jalen Cropper out of Fresno State. He's quick. He's versatile as a slot receiver. He can deliver as a situational playmaker in specific packages. He throws the ball well. Um, if he can play to his potential, and I, you know the guy I'm going to mention is D.D. Westbrook. You know if he played to the potential, his potential, and D.D. Westbrook played to his potential, closer to what he could do, there would probably be there's some upside there for Cropper to be a. a a rotational starter, kind of a third or fourth guy who gets regular volume. But I think more likely he's that fourth or fifth option on the depth chart who's only going to play due to injury um, and he'll spend most of his time on special teams. Jalen Wayne. Now he is, I believe, the nephew of Reggie Wayne. He's out of South Alabama. He's got good size. If his route running in hands earn praise in training camp, this is a guy you're going to want to watch closer during the preseason because that will mean if the route running hands really truly are better than what I've scored right now, if they've made improvements. And I don't think he's, I think he's got some small tweaks to make that could improve that quickly. Now, whether or not beat writers are going to, Understand there, they're just going to see that he's catching the ball and say he's got good hands and he's getting open because he's got good routes. And it's, you know, early August that they're saying this and the team hasn't really started, you know, amping up the kind of adjustments that these receivers have to make to pick up route running at a starter level of the NFL. That may not mean much, but still you want to keep an eye on him because I think he's a lot closer to contributing, at least as a low level contributor this year then my score for him might reflect. Um, now, Jalen Hyatt, different story at Tennessee. Um, obviously, I think for some, he's probably going to be you know a top three, top five prospect. And he's great when running away from defenders. The, you know, Excellent deep threat, has a skill to do 
you know, to run past defenders often at the college level. But what I haven't seen is Hyatt win consistently against tight and physical coverage in the vertical game. Now, I've seen him win against physical coverage when he's running a timing route in the red zone, you know, a slant or, or you know, some sort of in-breaking route. But can he run a vertical route deep and earn position against tight coverage? Yeah, I've seen him make some jump backs where he has a lot of separation, but I haven't seen him in contested situations that you're going to see a lot more in the NFL. If he can do that, look out. If he can't, well, then we're looking at, you know, Ted Ginn, Henry Ruggs, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in, in a little bit with another prospect. I, I think that's good, but not necessarily first-round good. Now, the NFL, speed is the cleavage of their league. They're probably going to think it's great, but the results haven't always shown that. Jeray Jenkins of LSU. I think the word methodical is too positive of a word for route running, okay? And that's, but that's what I've got as my descriptor, he does have good acceleration, but the the methodical is probably too kind to say what his routes look like. They look methodical. That's not a good look. If the details were methodical and how he prepared, I'd feel better about that. But right now, it doesn't look like that. He's also a serial clap catcher. So, Jeray Jenkins got a lot to work on. Jason Brownlee of Southern Miss might be the most acrobatic pass catcher in the class. He has just enough acceleration, I think, to stack defenders at the NFL level, at least some of them. Maybe not, you know, the stud number one guys. But I think if he's working in the slot or at flanker, he's going to have some potential to stack some defenders and have just enough speed to hold off many of them for productive gains with the route or even as a pa- after the catch. I think he can do that. A lot of the contested situations you see from him at, Miss, at Southern Miss aren't really due to his lack of athletic ability, but his quarterback's accuracy and placement. Stevie Johnson of Buffalo, or formerly of Buffalo, meet Jan, Jason Brownlee of Southern Miss. You guys might have a lot in common. Now, Jackson Smith and Jigba of Ohio State, he's the safest receiver in this class. Okay, His game's going to eventually be a combination and style and talent of Julian Edelman with a touch of peak Greg Jennings. Now, does that equal who Cooper Cup is? Not really, if you ask me, but but the production upside that Cup has could be enough for that. He could have enough production upside that the buzz that he's like the next Cooper Cup could occur, whether that's warranted or not. Safe, Safest receiver in this class, okay? Just... You know, easy to say that. Might be the best, too. Jaden Reed, Michigan State. He is not a boom-bust NFL player, but I do think he has some small flaws with his hands, and his routes could be a little bit better, but I think those two small issues, sets of issues that he has, could be the difference between him being a contributor in the league, a guy who's third or fourth in the rotation, but um, not getting starter level volume. Or if he works on these things and gets really good, he could be the top star. He could be a top end starter um, in the NFL and in fantasy leagues. He's a favorite of mine. I I, I really like Jaden Reed. Jonathan Mingo, Ole Miss. He's not as physical as Anquan Bolden. He's not as refined as Anquan, as as A.J. Brown. But he's going to become a presence that's hard for opposing defenders to handle. He's one of my Tier 2 players that I don't think is standing on any landmines at all. If you're looking for a safe spot in that Tier 2 landmine, Jonathan Mingo, I feel pretty good about that one. Jordan Addison of USC, look, he's speedy, he's sudden. He's violent with his feet and hands. He's skilled at the catch point on vertical routes against man coverage. He's a mature receiver with a bright future as a top 20 producer statistically at his position. I think he's what Philly fans thought they were getting with Devonta Smith, and probably many still think they've gotten that When you, if they don't think about the fact that his vertical game 
maybe is propped up just a little bit more because A.J. Brown's on the other side. Okay, I'm not saying Devonta Smith is bad. Not at all. I just don't think Devonta Smith was necessarily worth the early pick that he was. I think he's a he's one of those guys that blurs the line between a wide receiver one and wide receiver two on an NFL team, and he really needs a strong wide receiver one to to help him maximize the value that that he can get. Joseph Ngata, Clemson. He's a skilled pass catcher. His breaks need work for a player who isn't a game breaker. Okay, he's he had hernia surgery, and that can force a player to have to remake their body, and and that takes more time than people realize. So maybe his uninspiring career relative to his you know recruitment might have been slowed partially due to injury in that respect a little more than people thought, but he still got work to do either way. Josh Downs in North Carolina. You remember the Jamison Crowder hype? I don't know if you have, but Downs is the North Carolina version of this, you know, of Crowder, who was a Duke slot receiver, who was good when healthy, but has never really become that Amon Ross St. Brown type of player. I think Amon Ross St. Brown is the player that people thought Crowder would become and that Sterling Shepard would become, but neither of them could stay healthy enough to be that. I think Josh Downs is kind of getting that hype too, but I think he's just a good slot receiver who is, you know, who will help an NFL team probably more than it'll help a fantasy team. Justin Shorter out of Florida. Now, when I think of him and I see his game, big physical guy, not great speed, but enough to be able to get down downfield. His upside could be Alan Lazard's peak production right now. If he can add weight, maybe he could be a starting move tight end too, but I don't think he needs to do that. I think he reminds me a lot of Lazard physically and technically at the same points of their career. Lazard was an undrafted free agent. The Jaguars didn't even keep him in his first year, first summer, and the Packers signed him and helped him to, you know, I won't say they developed him. That's not what I mean, but signed him and gave him room for him to be able to develop his game. Keishan Butte, I think that's how you pronounce it. Butte, Butte, Boot, it's probably Butte. Sorry, folks. But the LSU receiver, he's a good route technician. He's capable of gritty catches. He processes the field fast, okay? It's similar to Zay Flowers, okay? And and what that means is that he almost always makes the first man miss as a runner. I would not get caught up in the combine noise that's bringing Keishon Boudet down, okay? There are two productive players from recent drafts in the past 10 years with worse combine efforts and similar dimensions and games as Boudet and with similar dimensions and styles who fare just fine. I'm a fan, okay? I'm a fan. I don't have any real hesitations about him other than the injury, the foot injury, if that's going to be an issue at all. That would be the only thing. And I don't, other than that, if he clears out, if he checks out, and I think he has, Go for it. Keelan Harris, Oklahoma Baptist. This was a hard evaluation, and it always is because from what I've seen with players who come from small schools who were, you know, athletic, and Harris is an electric receiver with a wide catch radius, has good body control, good foundations as a route runner, is you always wonder, is his athletic par- ability on par with a top Division One player? And if he is, he could be a good Tier 2 player on my board who may not have any landmines in front under him. Right now, though, he's at the top of my third tier. Um, Keelan Stokes of Tulsa, reliable pass catcher. He can take contact at the catch point. He earns the ball. He's a decisive runner. He's a return specialist who can give a team values and extension of the ground game. Might be a guy to just kind of keep an eye on um, if he latches onto the team through special teams. He might grow from there. Katon... Thompson, I think I'm pronouncing it correctly, out of Virginia. He's a former quarterback recruit at Mississippi State. Let me tell you, he's a stiff athlete for a wide receiver. He has bad habits with clap attacking, and he uses high-low hand position, okay, where he's got one hand, his top hand with the palm facing down, the bottom hand with the palm facing up, and he's trying to clap on the balls like that. Probably the most difficult clap attack position you can have. If he makes an NFL squad, it's probably going to have to do with the team leveraging his size and his quarterbacking skills. Um, 
and not necessarily as a receiver. Malik Knowles, on the other hand, out of uh, Malik Knowles out of uh, Kansas State, he's a skilled returner, top speed when he gets the runway to build to it, and he has the upside to expand his route tree beyond the shallow zones. He's a good kick returner, like I said, so I think he's got some of that Marquez Callaway-like upside to start off maybe on special teams and work his way into maybe a contributor's role where he won't completely embarrass you on the field. Marvin Mims out of Oklahoma. Now he's one of my favorite. He's one of my favorites in this class. Okay, he's he is um, also resembles one of my favorites from the 2000s, and that was Derek Mason. He also resembles one of my favorite prospects that I watched during my first 10 years of doing the RSP, and that was Santonio Holmes. Mims' technique, his ball skills, his athletic ability—they resemble a lot of both those options. Matt Landers. Now he's fast. Good technique, functionally strong for his position, could get stronger. But Landers is also kind of stiff as an athlete. And I think this impacts his releases, his routes, his ball carrying, his blocking. He teased this year. And I'm afraid he'll tease the the size speed chasers if they bite too early on him. Now, no more teasing when it comes to the rookie scouting portfolio pre-draft, post-draft publication, it's the goods. For $21.95, you get the most comprehensive look at skill positions at quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end available to the general public. What you get for download on April 1 is a PDF that's a fully bookmarked product that contains information that my subscribers have learned is evergreen and even more valuable than the post-draft, which is usually in high demand by the newbies who buy. You get rankings and cheat sheet and prose formats. Get detailed profiles breaking down all the criteria I use to scout each position. The guide, I get a guide that takes it basically guides you through my defined and weighted criteria so you gain a really kind of entertaining understanding of my evaluation process and how the pieces fit together to make the whole of each scouting report. Um, so you get a lot of material that you can look at and, and say, okay, how was he compared to the rest of the class as a separator? How is he in blocking compared to the rest of the class? What tier is he in with these other players? You know, who's overrated? Who's underrated? How are these things defined? What do people look at in terms, you know, how's what's the draft history been like at this position? So you get analysis with draft trends like that, changing how the league's assessing these positions, a range of stylistic comparisons for each prospect, at least 150 prospects profile pre-draft, and you get rankings from my past three years of classes and those are updated multiple times during the season. The first time is just a static look at what they all were scored pre-draft. Then that's not even that's just the pre-draft guide. Usually that's like 900 pages worth of content. Okay? The post-draft guide, that's also part of the purchase and that's going to be available no later than a week after the draft and it delivers fantasy analysis rooted in football scouting that I use from the pre-draft publication. But I do ADP tracking from multiple leagues um, so that you can see what the average draft position is from serious dynasty leagues. Uh, updated rankings in a tiered cheat sheet, um, cheat sheet um, with a sweet spot value. What I do is I take those ADP um, values that I tracked and I um, look at them versus my updated rankings and I give you a sweet spot of basically plus or minus seven picks from that value um, that value difference and you can see where you should be taking this player. So like for instance, Patrick Mahomes, Nick Chubb, Justin Jefferson, these are guys that I had rated pretty high. What I would do is instead of saying, well, you need to take these guys in the first round because they're going to deliver first round value. What I would find is say, well, they're going off the board late second round um, or at least in Chubb and Mahomes cases you can get a first round pick and then you should be able to get these two guys plus or minus, you know, a few picks from the X point. And that way you can know how to really make the most of your draft picks with the players that I value more or less than the rest of the, you know, rest of the crowd in terms of ADP. I do analysis on fits depth chart analysis that incorporates which veterans have one to two years left on their deals and how I see their playing time sorted out relative to the incoming rookie classes. And you get a monthly newsletter with all this, with scouting reports and analysis current to the future prospects. www.mattwaldman.com. I will email you 
when the product is ready, it's been ready April 1st since 2006, still on schedule to do so, if this podcast doesn't run into April 1st. And I assure you it won't. We're getting down the stretch here. Michael Jefferson, Louisiana. If he can become a more competent accelerator or hone his route running with precise footwork and manipulation of pacing, I think he could become a situational contributor. Not really a fantasy guy necessarily, um, unless maybe replacing somebody due to injury and he can have a run for here and there. But he's not a, I don't think he's going to be a long-term starter. Michael Wilson at Stanford, though, this guy's potential is teasing me. To me, he's Michael Thomas's stunt double in build, in metrics, in routes, releases, and sometimes with his hands. That's the problem. His hands aren't completely there yet. Now, he's a gamble, but he is working on his hands, and he seems to have a student's approach to the game. So I'd err on the gamble there, but he's still a gamble. He's still one of those guys that's on a landmine, I think, with his game. But he might have figured out where the release switch is and how to foil it from blowing up. Mitchell Tinsley of Penn State. He's a tough slot option with good acceleration, but lacking great speed. He tracks the ball well. He wins against hard contact. He starred with Bailey Zappi in 2021 in Western Kentucky before moving on to Penn State. I like his game. Um, I just don't know if it's a fantasy value game um, at this point. But he's a guy I would keep an eye on. I think he'll make a team um, and then maybe get to grow a little bit from there. We'll see how much growth potential he really has. Um, I think it's a, at least a contributor. I think he could become a contributor, just maybe not a fantasy value at that, at that rate. He'd have to go a little further. Nathaniel Dell, on the other hand, Listen, he's one of the two best open field runners in the draft, period, end of story. But he's also a high-variance producer thanks to his size. He's short. His athletic ability, he's awesome. His hands, they're like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. He's got to figure out how to fix what ails him with tracking and with hands positions. He makes some really good plays. He could be a star, And he's going to flash brilliantly early on. But what will make that light sustainable might be problematic if he doesn't work on it. So he's got to get, he's got to make that light sustainable. Otherwise, he's going to be a super bright light switch, but not a thermostat. So he's got a, he's got a landmine under his game, but I really, God, he's so compelling in many ways. Parker Washington, Penn State, good zone receiver. Excellent hands, underrated as a runner, but he's kind of that singles-doubles hitter. I'm rooting for him, though, to potentially develop into what would be an approximation of Heinz Ward. But I'm more realistically expecting him to have a career closer to Josh Reed. Now, I love Josh Reed at LSU, but it didn't quite work out for him in Buffalo at a high level. And Parker Washington, if he can be in between Josh Reed and Heinz Ward, I think his career will... You know, he could be a helpful to a team long-term. Puka Nakua, BYU. I think I pronounced it right. Most of the wide receivers in his range of of my depth of talent um, tiers are in that weird zone where they should contribute on the field, but how much depends on their development. I think Nakua's comp is between Golden Tate and early Doucette, so it's very illustrative of this situation. He can win deep. He earns contested catches. He's a good runner. Reminds me a lot of Tate in the style of his game, but maybe not as athletic or sudden. Um, we'll see. Um, certainly a player that I think will be a good mid to late round pick for fantasy guys. Quinton Johnston. Look, it comes down to his hands. If you believe Quentin Johnston's going to fix his hands, he's at least the wide receiver too in this class right now, at least if you believe that because of his hands issues, that he's going to have to eliminate these flaws altogether from his game before he earns a legitimate role with production, then you would have to grade him at a level where he's a rotational starter and not really even ready for that. Okay. Not even ready for the field right now. But if you honor the potential for improvement because he's shown signs of effort to address his game with his hands already, and he has, and he's shown that he can catch the ball with good technique, but it doesn't look completely comfortable, and when when things are going fast and furious and it's not an easy catch, 
he can lap he lapses automatically into the 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 techniques that are flawed so really what you see with him on tape is an inconsistent big play artist with issues like Gabriel Davis but with the route upside to become a primary receiver now I've watched Braylon Edwards Kevin White I've watched their games a lot after studying Johnson because I thought I saw some similarities there and there are I think those two guys are aspirational figures for a game now White couldn't stay healthy and his time basically to become a top producer basically ran out he got labeled a you know uh, injured off in reserve Braylon Edwards was a was a good NFL player for a while so Johnston has some good guys to aspire to but he's got to figure out his hands the, you know he's a landmine guy Rakeem Jarrett Maryland I like Jarrett. He's physical, quick, tough at the catch point, fast enough to get vertical. His hands and brakes need work to, for him to contribute. But I like the talent. It's there to emerge as a future role player, maybe even a starter. He's gonna He can cover on special teams. He might stick special teams early and develop into a decent slot receiver if he works at it. Rasheed Rice out of SMU. He's a promising flanker. A lot of burgeoning technical skills that just aren't quite where they need to be yet. If he can develop enough of them, he's going to be a starting flanker in the NFL. Now, the two issues that stand out the most is keeping his balance during breaks and his hand positions at the catch point. He can make some dynamic catches, but he's got to be consistent. Ronnie Bell out of Michigan. Reliable hands. Good blocker. Release skills are solid. And I think he can become even good at that. His breaks need the most work. I think he's another player at Michigan who has the potential to carve out a better pro career than his college numbers may indicate. Shaquan Davis, South Carolina, skilled ball tracker, speed. Got to learn to play more physical after adding nearly thirty—excuse me, nearly 40 pounds since his arrival. If that's true, if the team listings are accurate, indication he added 40 pounds during his career drops are an issue he's now built kind of like seth williams of auburn but he's got to learn how to use his seth williams like body that might be difficult we'll see tavion robinson kentucky short range slot option with acceleration now he replaced wandale robinson this year but i don't think they're on the same plane as prospects trey tucker cincinnati He's a return specialist. He's developed into a legitimate receiver prospect. Underrated physicality for his size. Didn't score as high in my evaluation criteria as his teammate Tyler Scott. But at the same time, he doesn't have that landmine under his game either. Talk about that in a moment. Trey Shropshire, or Trey Shropshire of uh, UAB. If he could add more to his stem work and refine his releases and improve his breaks... His ball skills are there. His acceleration is there. He could develop into a contributor in the NFL. Guy to watch as maybe a late-rounder UDFA guy who could stick to a team and maybe grow. Trey Palmer out of uh, Nebraska, five-star recruit, LSU, played there for a while. He's a late-round boom-bust flyer, if you ask me. He's probably going to get picked in the mid-rounds because they're going to love his speed, and they're going to love his after-the-catch work, and they're going to say he start on special teams. He's a flyer. He's got iffy hands, and that's the linchpin to his success or failure as a future starter in fantasy value. He's a weapon in space. He'll make tough catches, but so could Quincy Anunwa. And like Anunwa, his hands issues were significant. Not as bad as Anunwa, who figured it out, but uh, can Trey Palmer do the methodical work? That's going to be the question. Tyler Hudson in Louisville kind of reminds me of Romeo Dubs in the sense that he has a lot of fundamentals with the position. Um and has a foundation to build on. Um, interesting player. I think that maybe there's a little more there for him um, to grow into, you know, a, a good reserve, maybe one that can be on the field and contribute maybe more. Tyler Scott out of Cincinnati. Landmine, okay? And, and really a lot of skills that are promising. That's what makes it, you know, makes it difficult because he's the only... Really, the only serial clap attack option with legitimate starter success in the league right now is Terry McLaurin. 
If Scott does it, he'll be the second. If he proves exceptional with his behavior. And now look, on film, he's making tough catches clapping on the ball. But he also drops a lot of passes clapping the ball that Terry McLaurin didn't drop. Now I'm rooting for Scott, but one player studied out of 18 years who's been the exception really isn't great odds as a test case to say, well, if Terry McLaurin can do it, Tyler Scott can too. You know, I think Tyler Scott can still contribute in the league. He's certainly an excellent return specialist, great runner after the catch. Um, he's going to make some of the easy catches for sure. I'm just not sold on him being a primary option or as high end of a deep threat that um, that you even would call him a strong secondary option on the offense. Now, Ted Ginn earned a second-round pick, but was he really worth that? I would argue most years he wasn't. Was Henry Ruggs? Worth that as a first-round pick based on what we saw of him for two years before those tragic events that he facilitated? Yeah, I'm not convinced either about that. So, you know, Tyler Scott's got to prove it, I think. Xavier Hutchinson, Iowa State, look, I'm probably higher on him than most. He's a capable flanker, great ball skills. I think his ceiling is as that slot flanker hybrid who could, you know, could generate starter-worthy numbers. I thought he was a compelling prospect last year, and this year really did nothing to change that, even without Brock Purdy. So Justin Jefferson's game is the aspiration for Xavier Hutchinson. It's an aspiration that I don't think Hutchinson's ever going to reach. But I also think Marcus Callaway's um, floor is a floor that Xavier, Rich, uh, Xavier Hutchinson will never fall to. So I think... You know, he's got the skills to become a high-end contributor, um, you know, either off the bench or as a, as a eventually a starter. Let's end it with Zay Flowers. I'll just say it this way. If his hands were as good as the rest of his game, and those hands should get there, Flowers will be the top option at any skill position in this class. Um, now, Listen, his game bears resemblance to Jaden Waddles in some respects, but I also think it has the potential to look more like Isaac Bruce's with some of Waddles' contested catchability when it's all said and done. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of Zay Flowers from what I've seen thus far. That's it. RSP, April 1, MountWaldman.com, 2195. When you sign up, you'll get an email when it's ready for download. Thanks again. Have a great week. And uh, see you when I'm done with this book.